everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Not cheap, just careful is what I am. So, October is National Seafood Month, and this is the perfect time to be talking about the health and the viability of our oceans and the fish life that the oceans support and that support us. I mean, are the oceans being fished out, as some articles in the Post have said, or are fishermen now fishing responsibly? Well, and I think that it's very difficult for people to understand what's going on out there in the seafood world. When you go to Whole Foods or your local fishmonger, I mean, there's all this information, and you're not really sure, like, which fish you're supposed to buy. Are you supposed to buy wild-caught? Are you supposed to buy farmed? What's the best way to practice uh being sustainable when you're purchasing your seafood. And we thought it was really important today to bring in a group of people who really know the answers, or at least we're going to try to come up with some of the answers today. We're going to fish for answers. Okay, he's going to fish for answers because that's what he does. Okay. I do. Um, So you want to start introducing the panel? Yeah, we've got a, a, boy, an eminent, prestigious panel here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Heidi Hansen is an executive producer with uh, Warner Hansen Television, um, and that is not even the story here because she's a James Beard Award winner. Uh, she's done a ton of documentaries and other films about natural history and what's going on with our, our planet, our world, our our food system. Uh, and she's working also on a on sort of a celebratory uh, show on public television, uh, celebratory celebrating fishermen uh, who pro- who are you know respecting the oceans and and fishing the way we ought to. Uh, considering what our food supply is like in the oceans, and kind of like the way we celebrate farmers. I think fishermen are unsung heroes. Absolutely. And Laurel Bryant is the chief of external affairs. Are there internal affairs there, Laurel? Interesting. (laughs) At the Office of Communications at NOAA. NOAA, you know, everybody thinks of NOAA, I think, more as the kind of the weather service and all of that. She's with the uh, NOAA Fisheries, and they're responsible for really stewarding what's going on with our our resources in the oceans. and uh, animal habitats in the oceans. Yeah. And yeah. then How we have uh, TJ Tate. We're so uh, thankful that she's joining us today. She's the director of sustainable seafood at the National Aquarium, which some people may be like, wait, what? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But she's going to explain that to us and how the National Aquarium is assisting with the uh, sustainable movement. And our John good friend John Rupa. is back in studio. Now, he's with ProFish, as you know, um, and Ivy City Market. And But... Some people may be wondering, how does that all play in together? But being one of the biggest seafood vendors on the East Coast plays a lot into how we all... Well, you're the head of sustainability, the whole sustainability program. Exactly. Approach, right? Correct. So, okay, so I mean, how we all attain our fish and then is for, very important. You know what? And grins, we got... Because we always have booze on this show. John Uselton is... Well, the John. way I sort of framed it is that, you know, it's going to get a little serious in here, so we have to lighten, we have to lighten it, it with some libations. John so, Uselton is the... Co-owner and head distiller at New Columbia Distillers. Uh, you may not know the name New Columbia, but everybody in town knows Green Hat. Green Hat is the first distillery in the District of Columbia since Prohibition. That is correct. Uh, 
I, I know my stuff, man. I, I know, I, I know. You do some research. And um, uh, they make more than gin, but John's into to mix up a bunch of stuff. And why don't you, we'll start off. They do make more than with gin. happy talk. We give do us make a, more than gin. Give us the <laughs> overview of uh, New Columbia and what you guys are doing. Uh, so we are uh, just celebrating our four-year anniversary. So uh, we're really Yay. happy to get over four years. And I think we brought you in. <laughs> yeah. You, like we, the day after you launched. We we were here like hours after Which we sold our first bottle, so I think. Right, I know. Thank so. you. We'll, right. we'll take um, we'll take full so like, like like you said, we we do make other other things other than gin, but we do make four gins throughout the year, um, mm-hmm. a couple seasonals, and then two year-round products. Um, and then uh, the last two summers, we've done a summer cup, which is our take on the Pims. We're the first American distillery to make a, a Pims variation. Um, we have three vermouths now out: a dry, an off-dry white, and a rosé that you'd use like a red. Um, and those have been really popular, especially with the bartending crowd around town. So. I bet. Well, they're behind almost every bar. Yeah, yeah they're they're starting to trickle into to everywhere. It seems like. Which so is good let's for us. start with your gin. So why four different kinds of gin? Well, you know, with gin, you've got a lot of options and a lot of room to kind of play around with all those botanicals. I mean, um, everybody knows about juniper and it has to have juniper by law to be be, be considered gin. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of other options as far as botanicals that you can use, and we've kind of explored all those options or a lot of those options and kind of make it so that we can do different things. So we have today we are um, yesterday we launched um, the for the first fourth time our fall winter gin mm-hmm. our gin and aquavit hybrid um, we do a spring summer um, every year that we uh, produce all throughout the summer mm-hmm. um, and then we have our two year-round products our original green hat that we started a distillery with and then our navy strength a traditional english style of gin bottled at a higher proof it's a 114 so it's it's up there um, but it's it's got a nice uh, little bit of everybody ginger. in here is like ooh yeah okay yeah. <laughs> I focus, let's start with that <laughs> I focused on fall winter today since we launched it yesterday and we're uh, we're really excited about that all uh, right well why don't you get to the first cocktail yes, so the please. first cocktail um, that we came up with when we launched this uh, for the first time four years ago was um, a variation on a, a cocktail called the French 75 mm-hmm. um, so usually it would be sparkling uh, champagne or a sparkling wine a little bit of lemon juice the gin and a little bit of a sweetener. Uh, we've changed it, and we call it a, a Virginia 75. Uh, we use our fall winter gin, uh, lemon juice. Uh, we use a, a maple syrup uh, uh, that we that we cut down with a little bit of water, um, and uh, top it with a, a Virginia cider. All right. All right. So why don't you mix up this locale drink? You got yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then let's start syrup. with Heidi. All right. So Heidi, yeah, you're a filmmaker, but you focused on on basically the 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 world's ecology, the environment is in your in your. I mean, you've worked with scheme. so many people in the food industry, not just but, locally, but nationally as well. But right. I want to know what got you there. Why didn't you make films with De Niro and me, for example? <laughs> yeah, that's a good Because people I were think... already doing it. Exactly. Well, and we, we, you know, we want to tell the stories. There's really great stories out there of people who are, are making our food or growing our food. Mm-hmm. And so for us, a conduit in many mm-hmm. ways to talk about the environment and our natural world has been to frame it as food, because who doesn't love food? Well, let me ask you a question, cause because when you read articles, they say that basically a, a huge percentage of the food that we already have goes to waste, and yet so much of the world is, is you know, we're devouring more and well, we're and devouring so more land. Well, there's so many food deserts. Right. Right. So, right. so, I mean, have you discovered the cure? <laughs> I'm here to say no. I have not discovered but that here, but it is a process. It is. It is getting. I think a lot of it is getting people to connect. Um, you know, things like like connecting with our farmers, and you start to understand how food grows and what's necessary to make it grow. And um, for us, telling those stories makes it 
excitable and interesting to people. And using chefs as a conduit is, is kind of our thing. But don't you think some of the work that you have done really goes hand in hand with the change of how we're talking about food today? Because yeah. 15 years ago, farm to table was not a terminology. You know, you had Nora and... You know, Chez Panisse, like you had few restaurants, um, you know, really working with local farmers. But now, you know, you have these massive farmer markets right. all across the country and people are people are smarter. The diner has become smarter. They are asking questions. And whether you like it or not, the Food Network does play, you know, a role in that. And so I think what you're doing also brings more intelligence or education right. to to the to the layperson who maybe wouldn't care, you know. Right. Initially, I would say we're tricking people. We tell them it's a cooking show, but really, they're going to learn something. And you asked where this started, and actually, to Nikki's point, it really, 15 years ago, we were out with a farmer who was delivering some produce to a chef. And that was literally where it started, where we said, wait a minute, we saw this chef was excited, and the farmer's showing his stuff, and they're smelling, and they're, you know, it's this great energy that's happening. And we thought, you know what, that's where you can get people interested in this stuff. We're not talking about sustainable agriculture and all these things, but talking about food and celebrating it. Well, so let's talk about Good Catch right? and what you're doing with that, because that's how we have all these people here today. Right. We're all here to celebrate American fishermen. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I see it very much like the farmer movement of 15 years ago. That's mm -hmm. sort of the fishermen. We've gone through all this energy and work to make U.S. fisheries really sustainable. And so now we're at a point where we want to celebrate that by telling those stories. So Literally, we will go across the country and take chefs, uh, well-known chefs. Uh, locally, we're going to take Jen Carroll out um, bow fishing for invasive species. I love that. Michael Simaristi in L.A. Uh, we just got back from shooting with Gavin Kaysen in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. um, Spike Yardy um, from Woodbury Kitchen. Sure. Oh. oh, wait, wait, she's... Wait, wait, wait. Pause wait. it for a moment while she gets her drink. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is really important, but not that important. Well, you know, actually, it's, that's sort of an interesting, not, not interesting, it's a great way to segue to a conversation uh, with and introduce Laurel Bryant, because mm -hmm. at the NOAA Fisheries, you know, we're, we're talking about U.S. management of uh, an ocean stewardship, uh, and and obviously you're here because you're you're successful in your work there, but... What, I mean, what happens with the rest of the world? If we do a good job and the rest of the world doesn't, we're still in the pool. Right. Well, thanks, and, and thanks, Nikki and David, for, for having me. Um, U.S. Fisheries, we have really invested as taxpayers for about 40 years uh, in what we call the Magnuson-Stevens Act, and we have really established a process by managing um, based on science, um, always monitoring, and always adapting and responding to the changes in the environment, and mm -hmm. it's built a very strong system. I think probably one of our number one exports needs to be exporting those stewardship practices. And NOAA actually, not only do we manage those living marine resources uh, through our 200-mile exclusive economic zone, but also we manage beyond that by engaging with the international bodies um, and the regional fishery management organizations to export and, and encourage and enforce and work with other nations so that they, they adopt those practices well. there are well. nations like you know, Norway and Iceland and Great Britain who have the resources and... And, and who are really behind it. Yes. Stand behind. But what about poorer nations where people are just struggling to eat and, and, I mean, in some cases where they don't even have proper sanitation or they don't have any of the, the things. You know, we live better in this country than 99% of the rest of the world. 
So do you have trouble getting the message across that way? I think it's such an excellent question, and I want to um, shout out this uh, two years ago in 2014, uh, President Obama put together a special task force mm-hmm. on illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing mm-hmm. to really take on. And that's that's where you're you're getting at some of this. A lot of these nations, they don't have the scientific capacity or the enforcement or those eyes on or the water. Or quite frankly, the management. The, the or management. the education. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're a poor fisherman and you need to make money for your family and you need to eat, oh. you're not going to think... Oh, this fish, this kind, this particular fish that I caught today is not going to be here tomorrow. I mean, so there's a, isn't there a bigger picture there? There, there is there. a bigger picture, and and to that point, Nikki, a lot of um, one of the the focuses that uh, has driven the task force is to address some of these. That is the food security for these poorer nations, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of other industrial nations doing the pirate fishing taking up those resources and doing the habitat damage. So I would like to say, though, that there's an awful lot of work going on, and it's not just government and NOAA. It's it's a lot of the federal agencies, but really working in partnership with the broader seafood supply chain, Mm -hmm. with a lot of the environmental organizations and conservations. Seafood has really become, sustainable seafood has really become an ambassador issue Mm -hmm. where you're taking these stewardship issues that are global and you're really able to have a conversation right down at the dinner table, as you pointed out earlier, Nikki, getting aware of this. And, um, and seafood, I think, in a, in a really important way, is expanding that conversation globally and really focusing on what works. We need to work together as a whole food system. Okay. I don't even know where to begin here, but we have to take a break. So uh, this is David but and Nikki Nellis. Right. <laughs> this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We are doing an entire show today based on sustainable seafood. We're doing some libations too uh, with some green hat gin. So we'll be back in just a sec. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, DC's premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at ProFish.com. United Soldiers and Sailors of America provides food, shelter, utilities, toiletries, and the essentials for daily living to our combat-wounded service members and their families. The need for help rises dramatically in homes, their homes, or buying food for their families. You can lessen the burden by donating to USASOA.org. All money given to United Soldiers and Sailors of America goes directly to our service members. Again, that's USASOA.org. You'll always learn something when you read commentary by Federal Drive anchor Tom Temin. Sign up today at federalnewsradio.com. Search alerts. This is John Gilroy. My show, Federal Tech Talk, answers the question, how does technology make life easier for the federal audience? I've spent years interviewing federal CIOs, tech leaders, and big company CTOs. What they tell me is compelling, provocative, and always relevant to the federal government and contractor. Check it out Tuesday and Thursday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Federal Tech Talk. Growing up, I was among the one in five American kids who struggle with hunger. And hungry mornings make tired days. Grumpy days. Best kind of days. But with the power of breakfast, the kids in your neighborhood can think big and be more. We're not hungry for breakfast. We're hungry for more. More ideas. More drinks. More fun. When kids aren't hungry for breakfast, they can be hungry for more. Go to hungeris.org and lend your time or your voice to make breakfast happen for kids in your neighborhood. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have an entire show today dedicated to 
sustainable seafood to the health of our oceans to celebrating fishermen. But first, we're going to go back and celebrate John Uselton and uh, New Columbia delicious. Distillers. Thank you. So, John, I mean, aside from the four types of gin, uh, what else are you guys stepping into? Well, he discussed that he was well, starting with vermouth. I know, I know. But, I mean, in, it, are you going to start doing uh, fusion experiments with vermouth and fusion experiments with other uh, spirits? Uh, maybe not so many fusions. Um uh, we, we mentioned a little bit about the vermouths, and those right. are a collaboration between us and a restaurant over on 14th Street called Edo. You mm-hmm. may, have, may have been there. Have so P- Peter Paston uh, is uh, one of the owners there, um, and I worked for him for a number of years. And then uh, Kat is a friend of mine, is the head bartender there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been making vermouth for you know close to 10 years now at various restaurants of Peter's. And when we decided we wanted to make the summer cup, uh, when it comes down to it, you take gin, you add a lot more botanicals to it, and then you mix that. Um, concoction with uh, about half and half with that and vermouth. So we needed a lot of vermouth. Um, I talked to Kat and I was like, I need a I need a really nice vermouth recipe for this summer cup. Um, told her how much we were going to need, um, and that was a lot more than she usually makes for a, a small restaurant. Um, so she she make it in her bathtub? How does she? Uh, no, they would they would do uh, like basically five gallons at a time at the restaurant, and so mm-hmm. a, a lot of restaurants now are, are doing house made vermouths. Yeah, they they're playing around with different things mm-hmm. and having fun with that. Um, but she's like, if we're going to make that much vermouth for you guys, then let's, let's do a whole line. And so that's kind of how it all, all started. So, you know, Kat comes up with all the recipes and her and Peter come in and, um, we'll do all the infusions and then we'll help them bottle it. And, uh, it's just been a really great kind of collaboration with a, a local restaurant and, and those kind of things. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about vermouth because I think people just think it's something you swish around a glass and spill out, and it's really not the case at all. Not not at all. And I mean, that's be you know you know no offense to Noli Pratt and all those 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 brands, but you know if you go to Spain, um, there are whole bars that they are have totally this, dedicated to vermouth. That's vermut. all they do totally is vermouth. Right. And you know the, the Spaniards will drink vermouth on the rocks or with a little soda water in the afternoon. It's a this great. This is why it took him ten months to pick a government. You know. <laughs> They're too busy with their vermouth. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. No so what, are you, what are you pouring next? Um, next, I thought I, since we just released our fall winter for this year, I thought I'd maybe just do a, a little sample of it neat and cool. uh, so we can see how it is. So uh, this is our gin and aquavit hybrid. Um, Northern European type of spirit is uh, is the um, aquavit. Mm-hmm. So we take the caraway seed, the star anise, and the dill from uh, traditional aquavit. And then marry that with some of our uh, traditional gin botanicals. Mm, um, and then delicious. we take all of that and we put it into an apple brandy barrel and age it for about uh, four months. Hmm. So it gets a little bit of a, b- a barrel age to it. It gets a little bit of color. Um, and those apple kind of flavors really kind of round everything out and make it a really nice, Woof. you okay. know, one, one, of, one of our favorites. And it's Thank you. Okay, we're going to have to move on, but we will come back to you. Sorry to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, John. Sorry, John. <laughs> I'm just going to drink your booze. And I just get so excited. I all know. Right. It's exciting. So... TJ Tate is the – this sounds like an interesting life you have. She's the director of sustainable seafood at the National Aquarium. So I don't know, does a fish go by and you go, that looks delicious, but let's leave it in there. And I mean, are you sustaining – It's a conundrum. Different, it? it is it a is conundrum. A, right? It's a little bit of but a conundrum. I also want to say, because I want you to talk about this, you're one of the co-founders of the first brands of traceable seafood in the Gulf of Mexico – uh, it's called Gulf Wild, and it focuses on conservation and traceability and, you know, fishermen uh, doing their thing but doing it in a proper and controlled way. Pretty cool. When was that? Well, so I'm, my history is that I'm a marine biologist. Okay. And so it's always been to take care of the oceans first. 
And then I started meeting a lot of fishermen, and I realized I can do anything I want, but the fishermen are the ones out there, and they're really the front line of defense. And so I ended up in the Gulf of Mexico working for commercial fishermen. And there was a lot of things happening in the Gulf. We had Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. We had an oil spill. Everybody mm -hmm. knows about those things. Consumers said, we're not going to eat any seafood from the Gulf of Mexico. And so the group that I worked with, these commercial fishermen said, all right, we need to tell people where our fish is coming from, that we have safety tested it, that they can actually look it up online, meet the fishermen themselves, see what gear it was caught with, what bait was used, how it was caught, where it was caught, all those good things. Mm -hmm. And that was that word traceability way back before traceability was even on anybody's radar. radar. But it had to be done because the fishermen had to have a future. The whole caveat was is that they had to do it sustainably with cameras on their boats and letting me put extra observers on their boats. Mm -hmm. We came up and we presented to Laurel and her group at NOAA and said, what do you guys think? Do you kind of bless this idea? Is this a good thing? And they're like, please go try it. Do it. See if it'll work. And for the Gulf of Mexico, it is obviously the traceability movement, sustainability of taking care of our ocean and commercial fishermen has taken off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's nationwide. So, so now, oh, well, I was just say, how'd you end up at, at the aquarium? Well, they realized a good thing when they saw it, and, and not me, but what the fishermen were doing and what mm -hmm. we had built. And they said, come up here and help us in this region because there's a lot of confusion from the consumer to the watermen to the fishermen, the chefs, the mm -hmm. restaurants. There really wasn't um, an environmental-type group that was leading that charge. You have NOAA, but people look at them as the regulators. They're telling us what we have to do. Right. And then you have the chefs who are saying, we want to really be sustainable, but we're not sure. You have some great distributors, but again, they're saying, we want you to buy this. Mm -hmm. So we're that neutral entity of we can give you information. We can help work with folks like NOAA to make sure that the best science is put forward, mm -hmm. and we can educate consumers because we have 1.4 million people that come through our door, period. Mm -hmm. That's simple. That's an easy take to, to get to in front of those people and say, let us talk to you about seafood. Let right. us tell you what you should and shouldn't be eating and help you make some smarter choices. Mm -hmm. And then Heidi and I hooked up a couple of years ago, and we just started talking about this all needs to be a big story. We need to get past those 1.4 million people and get to the billions of people. Sure. And it's just, it's been born from there. Okay, so we're going to move on to John, and then we can come back. We're going to talk about all, because, I mean, everybody has laid out amazing concepts and, and questions that we can really all talk about to see what's next and what's the future. So, John, I want to bring you in. I mean, John is, like, on our show every other week. Uh. And it's only because usually he brings fish. But since you didn't this time, this is it. Yeah, this you're is out. my last time. You're you're mentioned you're out. No white, no white fish, no show, pal. <laughs> but so let's talk about, as a seafood vendor, pro fish, I mean, how do you fit in with all of this? What, it's funny because I've been <clears throat> doing this with pro fish, and I've had my title, Director of Sustainability, for going on 14 years now. Mm. So these relationships were all organic relationships. Sure. Um, from our first seminar that we did with chefs, um, taking the gray out of sustainability that, that we did with NOAA, mm -hmm. we hosted it at the World Bank. We had 200 chefs there, a panel of ec experts, and uh, try to take some of that, you know, what should I buy, what shouldn't I buy as a chef, and put on menus. And then uh, TJ and I have been working together for years because of Gulf Wild, the program she spoke about, mm -hmm. which... You know, we internally have a, a traceable, sustainable program called Fishprint. 
Right. You brought that on this show Correct. years ago, and you showed us how people can find out about the fish they're buying. Right. So you can go right to our website and buy sustainably and actually buy carbon-wise. So it started with carbon fish print. Mm-hmm. So we rated all of our fish on the carbon output of that fishery. You mean so, like how far it goes? Yeah, and, and what energy is used to bring that fish to your restaurant, mm-hmm. basically. So, And then it morphed into more traceability uh, as that started to come around. And clearly you can't have sustainability without traceability. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 80 different types of snapper. So if I just sold snapper, how could I put, you know, whether it's green, yellow, or red, unless I knew exactly where they came from, the catch method. So that's where, you know, we all get in the same rooms and try to share information. The good thing is domestic seafood, we can we can do that for. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's a dead end, you know, on product that comes into the country. And right now, depending on what figures you look at, you, you know, you're anywhere from 80 to 90% of what we consume in this country is imported. And, and when you say, but it, when you say imported, are we talk like the areas that we know are more problematic are, you know, the Asian area because the regulation is not the same as like, as David mentioned earlier, like in Iceland or Norway or in Britain. Correct. So is that part of the issue? It's part of the issue. And there's countries that do a great job, do as well a job as, as we do mm-hmm. and, and really promote, you know, sustainable fisheries and fishing methods. And aquaculture, too. I mean, aquaculture is the key. Well, so we're going to go into aquaculture. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe we should just get into aquaculture because I think that's where we can actually start. Let's explain it. Let's explain what aquaculture is. Who wants to take that? So so aquaculture is uh, wild fisheries that have been uh, grown uh, from a spat, from a baby uh, egg, and then put into, depending on the system, there's RAS, which is recirculating aquaculture, which is probably the most sustainable level Mm -hmm. because you control the water. Um, the water that you use in the system is actually recirculated mm-hmm. and used 99% of it. So is that a tank? Tanks or yeah, ponds. Yeah, I mean, um, that's the question. You know, if you talk about uh, sustainably grown salmon or something like that, you know, salmon got to swim. So how how big an area and are they netted in? I mean, how do you keep them in your fish farm? Well, uh, this um, just to comment on that. So one, I wanted to point out most of those imports coming in, over half of that is from aquaculture. Okay. And um, healthy aquaculture. Well, most of it, more and more and more, it's still a little bit iffy. Right. And I think the point that I'd like to um, for your listeners to understand is um, one, certainly by U.S. Whether it's wild capture or aquaculture, it's good for you. It's good for the country. Okay. Um, number two, aquaculture, the modern um, architect of of modern aquaculture practices and technology and research, it's really been the United States that has led the way, unfortunately, because of, you know, ongoing kind of myths or, or that everybody's afraid of it. So we end up exporting that technology only so that we import the food. Um, you know, the, the, the fish that we don't control, we don't have that. Those jobs, that technology could be here. And the last thing I want to say about aquaculture is it's not just uh, recirculating land-based ponds. There's so many. It's a it's a it's a big portfolio of mm-hmm. onshore, offshore, nearshore, inshore um, that we need to look at. And it really depends on the fish and the location. But so, but the I think the negative connotation with aquaculture initially came from like you know like bad on land farming practices, Correct. piling too many fish in too small a place, feeding them food that they shouldn't be eating. Right. And so you were getting this, like, not only weren't you getting a tasty product, but you were poisoning the waters that they were in, right. you know, if they were just, like, netting them in the ocean. And, and then, then needing antibiotics, whatever. Right, exactly. But I think, like, all science, and whether it's health or whatever, we need to understand 
that it never stands still. It's always evolving. It's mm-hmm. a journey. It's not a destination. And where we were 40, 45 years ago in aquaculture, wow, we are so beyond that now. And we really need a sustainable seafood portfolio into the future must have aquaculture. We, we, don't, we don't have enough wild capture. Okay. Oceans have done what they can do. And a lot of those regulations de- dealing with aquaculture really were established in, what, 1980? And so everybody went boom or bust. Let's just start growing fish. And the market just went crazy because people were making money. People were growing fish. But there were a lot of problems. And so that's still where the consumer is. The consumer is still back thinking in it's 1980 where it's boom or bust and hearing all those problems of escapees and, and feed problems and overpopulating in a tank. They're not seeing how things have streamlined and that oyster restoration and oyster growing are now things that are helping the Chesapeake Bay. Sure. We have more oyster farmers here in the Chesapeake than almost anywhere in the U.S. Well, we have the boys from Rappahannock in here all the, the time. time right. so. yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. I mean, obviously what Heidi is doing with this show, I mean, is going to help promote that. When we come back, we can talk more about that. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Roger Waldron, president of the Coalition for Government Procurement and host of Off the Show. My show brings a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Each week, I talk to experts from inside and outside government about the latest federal compliance and policy information for government contractors. Join me every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 11 a.m. for Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Off the Shelf. Teachers, plan your next field trip to the museum where education meets inspiration. Thanks to a program sponsored by WTOP, D.C. area students can explore the museum free of charge when they visit as part of a teacher-led group. Students will unlock deeper understanding of our First Amendment freedoms as they explore more than 30 exhibits and theaters or take part in one of 15 standard-aligned workshops, all free with your field trip. Visit museum.org slash field trip to see the full list of qualifying districts and book your visit today. If you've ever worked for a large company that provides services to a customer, at some point you may have said, Huh, I think I might be able to do this better on my own. Well, this is a show for people who actually take the step off the ledge and fend for themselves in the cutthroat world that is government contracting. I'm Alan Scott of Columbia Technology Partners and host Ready to Prime. Part information, part inspiration, and all small business. Heard the last Tuesday of every month on Federal News Radio 1500 AM or on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Ready to Prime. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and the whole show is dedicated to sustainable fish <laughs> and dining on sustainable fish and how we're going to keep the planet clean. Heidi, let me come to you for a quick... We were talking about aquaculture, and, and I think we also want to hear how climate change uh, impacts all of this, but you're really the, the documentarian, the chronicler of all this, so... And you just showed me, you should probably talk about that photo you just showed me of the Ham, Ham's Brewery. Um, here in the U.S., we're a lot smarter and we're we're getting a lot more technologically oriented toward clean water that can be used and reused for 
growing plants and growing fish. What do you see around the rest of the world? Well, I mean, our our experience so far in this whole fisheries realm has really been about U.S.-based. And across the country, there are, I mean, it's truly amazing the things that are happening in aquaculture. I mean, from in Hawaii, we have these giant balls that look like they're from space that are Mm -hmm. floating on thousand-foot tethers. So they're just floating in the ocean, and there's there's fish inside that. Um, that are then creating a reef that other fisheries, wild fisheries, are coming to. We have, last week I was in Minneapolis, and they are taking old breweries, which have a natural water source. They're bringing it in. They're growing plants and this beautiful fish. Um, they're salmon, Arctic char, striped bass, all in a system that creates, it, they use 1% of the water. So it indoors? Indoors. Show the photo. In, yeah. In pools that are above ground, and mm-hmm. the water circulates between the plants and the fish. The plants filter the water, then it goes to the fish. And, and the fish are healthy. Healthy. I We sliced open this striped bass. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's no longer healthy. Who is no longer healthy, but <laughs> happy. <laughs> we were happy. Right. And so the chef sliced it open, and we had it um, raw. And mm-hmm. it was one of the best tasting fish I've ever eaten. It was sweet and delicious, and mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm a skeptic. You know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in in the 80s and 90s right. when you know farmed fishing wasn't good. But um, this last year, I've been enlightened. I mean, it really. There's technology that's happening. I mean, it is really. Well, and, well and Laura, bring up what you were talking about off air because I think it's really interesting. Um. Oh boy, can I remember what that was? Something with socks. We were talking about socks. Okay, so. Sure. Uh, um, yeah, the different technologies um, that mm-hmm. are available for, as I said, onshore, offshore, nearshore, inshore, mm-hmm. um, are are really advancing. And you need a wide portfolio. Every region isn't conducive to maybe having the energy available to do the tanks, and and yet they've got a very healthy offshore. So I think looking at it again is a diverse portfolio. But the other thing that I think is important about aquaculture, fish are a very healthy blue planet friendly protein. You compare it with a pig, chicken, or cow. Mm-hmm. And the efficiency environmentally is important, number one. Number two, incredibly important for our well, health and nutrition. Let me just interrupt you and say, like, I think what you're saying there, if people need to understand, is that our oceans need to be healthy for everybody to be healthy. Right. So we and have to people, keep our oceans healthy. Yeah. It's and people also, we need aquaculture so that we will have more fish because not everybody goes to Whole Foods and gets to pay $25 a pound for sockeye. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to go to Costco and get that nice farmed salmon that's healthy and antibiotic-free. And and so that is another important role for aquaculture. Um, if we went out and hunted pigs, chickens, and cows, we probably wouldn't have that many of them available. We need <laughs> to grow our point. food. Well, so what's, you brought up a good point. We were discussing this off air. It's, it's cost, and I really didn't want to get there so early in the show. But, John, I want to go to you on this. I think um, sometimes fish can be cost prohibitive, not just in a restaurant, but in a store and not just any Whole Foods, but even in Giant or or Safeway. I mean, in any of the stores. And also, I mean, I have found personally that if you went into a Giant and said to the guy behind the counter, I mean, where's it from? What's happening? I mean, they know nothing. So there's, I mean, there's so many layers here. It's the education and also the price. How do we, if we're supposed to eat more fish, because the more we eat, the better, the more practice it has and the more sustainability is there for it how do we get it to the people who can't afford it Um, we personally are working on programs with um bc government where Mm -hmm. we're doing subsidized fisheries invasives you know Mm -hmm. we do a lot of work with invasives so 
we have subsidized invasive fish that uh, we have for people that have food stamps and that, that type of stuff. So there's programs that you can do. But you have to remember, the wild fishery, it's the last uh, protein predicated to the hunt. So whether it's, you know, the weather or uh, fisheries aren't getting the right amount of money, it fluctuates a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's why farm raise is so key, because it's a very stable price. And menus can be written on it. I mean, that's why salmon is the number one, you know, sold fish in our country, because it's it's a s- standard price. And, you know, it's going to fluctuate a little bit, but you know that you can go in and spend 8 $9 for a salmon filet mm-hmm. and feed your family with it. Right. And now with the changing of sustainability and the messages, that's why Heidi and what what we're all doing, selling this storied seafood, it really changes. It's it's trickle up mm-hmm. uh, economics, I guess, uh, where you know if you build the story and you sell it to the public, then it pressures companies to do things the right way. Yeah. Because commodity salmon that they're growing in Chile, you know, five years ago it was very suspect. Now they're starting to realize that if they don't, you know, put antibiotics in their feed and and feed them antibiotics their whole life cycle. You know, you have healthier fish. Right. Um, so there's a lot of practices that are being changed because of this storied seafood. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can do that and the more that we start to transition into buying domestic first, it'll pressure other countries to do it correctly. I think there's huge econ- – it's something I realized, too, is that if we can increase the demand for this aquaculture, that can take start to – build farms across the country in mm-hmm. places where there are food deserts or places where the industry has gone somewhere else. Um, right. And that there, it's actually an economic engine that is not only an economics, but it's also feeding the community. Well, is that something that there is money for? Well, there are actually, there are investors and there are organizations like Fish 2.0, mm-hmm. which is um, a competition. And investors put their money in to try to, to and they pick the best um Innovation. Innovation, exactly. And it's usually focused around uh, aquaculture because that's where we need the most technology and innovation. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't want to. Well, no, but they're more like the fish 2.0s of the world that are coming up and that are showing up around the world. And if you talk to investors, any investors, you go up to New York and you talk to investor groups, you say, what are you interested in? Aquaculture, aquaponics, growing seaweed. Um, it's it's the way of the future that makes sense because the population we know is going to grow. Mm-hmm. We only have so much supply in our oceans. So how are we going to feed these people? It's going to be by growing our food. Well, is there also an issue of fish resistance, fish resistance, fish resistance? If you look at the Japanese who had an, an ocean-based culture, mm-hmm. cuisine, for centuries, uh, they're now eating more meat. Incidences of cancer are, you know, they were basically a cancer-free culture for, you know, for centuries. Uh, you know, they're they're sort of transitioning, and and there's a lot more cattle and and, and lamb and all of that that's that's eaten in, in cultures that didn't have it before. And we're, you know, I mean, I'm a baby boomer. It was a piece of meat. It was potatoes, and it was that horrible green giant frozen crap on the <laughs> side there. Um, and so, I mean, is there resistance to fish? As a, as a sort of a, a dietary staple still? I think um, that's such a great question, mm-hmm. and I think particularly for your readers and, and the purpose of your show, um, when you look at other cultures like even even Europe, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a, it's a fish. They are not intimidated by a whole fish. They get excited about it. That's what they want to take home. Here we've got this thing like it's square and breaded right. it's and be goes filleted. into the toaster mm-hmm. oven. And mm-hmm. so we're much more intimidated, and I think that's where folks like John – 
and the chefs really helping to tell this story. It's incredibly healthy food. It's environmentally friendly. We all need it. It's really the food that can grow. And it's it can work too. in, and it's delicious, and it can work in combination with the wild capture. Mm-hmm. Wild capture essentially is going to go white tablecloth, high end. Sure. That's where it is. But it's time that we need the chicken of the sea and, and get those other. But you also have those folks who are creating those ready-to-eat meals. The yes. I love more. the wild, and you can walk into a Wegmans, just as an example, and they have their family meals. And it has the the seafood in there, which is aquaculture product. Mm-hmm. It has all the seasonings. It's ready to go. It's ready to go. And it, there's an it education get, going on. Well, so I, I want to get back to invasive species just a little bit, but also it's sort of twofold. Salmon is a great example. I mean, there are people in this country who just eat salmon because they don't know other fish. And I think part of the education problem is that um, the stores are only going to carry what people sell. Restaurants is a great example. I mean, there are some chefs who are like, I mean, I have to put the salmon on because that's what people order. They don't want to, but where does the education happen? It can't always be the chef because they're not Mm. always good at selling the product, right? So how do we get people to learn about these other fish? Non-traditional. Right. Just as tasty, just as good, um, and easy to make or serve or whatever. Sure, because diversity in our diet with seafood is the only path to a a global sustainable food chain. And I think that uh, the press is doing a good job now. Um, Tamar Haspel from The Post just did an article on a blind taste test. We had a couple of chefs. uh, Tom Seatsma was in there. Right. And we all had no idea. It was eight different types of fish. And her point was that people had this connotation of tilapia in their head. That it's kind of a trash fish. Mm -hmm. And it was actually picked the number two most favorite out of all the eight. So it, it just but shows you. But what were the eight? Like, was it all snapper, similar? But was it similar? Because tilapia. Similar white. Okay, white, fish. light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think, and, and you speak of investors. I mean, there's so much investment potential in seafood mm-hmm. and in the technologies. You spoke about Japan. They, you know, obviously had the nuclear uh, issues and yes. fallout. So they have, I mentioned nanobubble <laughs> technology. They actually came up with that that actually attaches to non-organic organic material and waterways and it clears their water so we're bringing that technology into aquaculture that kind of takes that it's off. like a febreze of water <laughs> i think it's a little more technical than that but um but there's technology wait, 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 wait. I, I forgot to introduce nikki nellis doctor of febrezeology but there's so many advancements we, we did a fish hackathon with the state department at the baltimore aquarium mm-hmm. tj and i and i and we judged you know all these brightest young people that that mm-hmm. came in and developed apps and things to further traceability and seafood. There's uh, us as a company, we, we've turned zero waste this year, and we have a styrofoam what densifier. Does, what does that mean? So that means that um, we don't put out more than, we, we have zero waste that goes to landfill. Okay. So all of our fish waste now uh, is uh, fertilizer. Excellent. So we grind it, and it turns into a liquid non-nitrate-based fertilizer. We'll probably be a bigger fertilizer company in 10 years than we are a fish company. Amazing. Um, there's collagen in fish that when we're doing this extraction process that we can take out and collagen is like $300 an ounce that comes from fish bones that they use in surgeries. So, I mean, you never know going into this world where you're going to end like up. Like collagen? Or for, fa- <laughs> for your facial <laughs> surgeries. <laughs> and Nikki wants a bucket of dead <laughs> fish. Please, like right away. All right. And a needle. On that note, we have to take a quick break. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. <laughs> I'm Aileen Black. And I'm Gigi Shum. 
Together, we host Women of Washington. You'll hear the inspiring and amazing stories of women who have paved their own path to success and achieved incredible milestones in their careers. Some have leaned in. Others took an unconventional approach. All have made an impact on the business landscape of Washington, D.C. and beyond. Tune in Wednesday afternoons at 1 for Women of Washington, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Women of Washington. Did you know babies receive vaccinations that protect them from 14 diseases before they're even two years old? Adults, ask your health care provider about your vaccination needs and record. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says older adults need vaccinations to prevent flu, pneumonia, Tdap, hepatitis B, and shingles. Tdap, a combination of vaccine of tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, should be given to pregnant women during the third trimester to protect babies from whooping cough. Learn more at cdc.gov vaccines. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at ProFish.com. This is John Gilroy. My show, Federal Tech Talk, answers the question, how does technology make life easier for the federal audience? I've spent years interviewing federal CIOs, tech leaders, and big company CTOs. What they tell me is compelling, provocative, and always relevant to the federal government and contractor. Check it out Tuesday and Thursday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Federal Tech Talk. Selling to the government made easier thanks to the Coalition for Government Procurement. Federalnewsradio.com. Search off the shelf. This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at WFED. Hey, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, we just learned from John Roropa that uh, uh, fish has a lot of collagen in it, which, you know, Nikki and I are going to go home and slap each other with a couple of trout. I know. All <laughs> I can think is fish are friends, not food. <laughs> but uh, before I'm we get sure. in back to the show, I just want to thank our sponsors. Oddly enough, ProFish is one of them. Thank you, John. Well, maybe not so oddly. Mm. <laughs> uh, celebrity Cruises, and you'll hear more in a little bit about the cruise that Nikki's leading. Yep. And uh, the market at River Falls. Thanks to Jim McWhorter and Yasmin yes, thank you for so supporting much. the show. So let's get back to uh, where do we want to go? Do you want to go back to John? And uh, I, I guess... You can go away from me. Well, trout slapping jokes over here. Right, right exactly. So He's got a whole a new minutes. thing. Well, but I'm interested. I'm Laurel, interested. You w- wanted to talk about something specific. Me? Yeah, yes. fish.com or whatever. <laughs> what did I mean? I would say, well, yeah, I'd love to swing into it because yeah. my job is so much easier because of the information that I'm fed with, mm-hmm. with our country and with Fishwatch, which is NOAA's website that explains everything and has the science that, uh, you know, it's a real dynamic. Um, environment that we're dealing with here with wild fisheries. Is it perfect? No, but they get it as right as anybody in the world does. So every every fishery that I have on my website is linked to Fishwatch, and if you want information, you know, it, it it's the best source oh, for that. Thanks, John. I, we okay. really, um, it's been a complex story. It's not an easy story to tell, and um, as TJ and Heidi have mentioned earlier, we've got a great story in this country, and we need to tell it um, this really is an ambassador of stewardship all around, and our fishermen are operate under the strictest rules in the world, and uh, we need to support them and grow our aquaculture. So fishwatch.gov is really designed to try to break down that complex story and really provide the most up-to-date information. So, so thanks for that shout-out, John. Well, and I think it's really important because I use fish, Fishwatch every day as well, uh, but I think it's really important in this whole discussion that we don't forget 
the wild fisheries as well as the aquaculture. Sure. Because we have to have that balance. Yep. And so at the National Aquarium, we always say it's about the and. You have to have the wild harvest that is sustainably harvested. It is well-managed, thanks to Laurel Mm -hmm. and her group over there at NOAA. NOAA. (laughs) Um, But then we also have to have the aquaculture because we need that technology. We need to be growing our own responsibly farmed seafood. And I think there there is a perfect balance there. Well, we we it's, not, you know, it's not all one, right? right. Exactly. Like, it's, it's a diverse portfolio. Right. right. When you say the National Aquarium, I'll bet you people are thinking Baltimore, but that's not where the National Aquarium is. You would be wrong. It is in Baltimore. Where's, what's the one in the Commerce Building? It's not it's there not anymore. It's not there anymore. Oh, it's gone? It's all yeah. moved? Oh. Yeah. Because I couldn't figure that out. When we went in there, it's like... Yeah, we, it's kind of like an inheritance thing, David. Yeah. 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 Really. Manatees buried in the basement. But that's where I saw my building. first snakehead, though. Yeah. So, uh. <laughs> no, thir- 35 years. We just celebrated our 35th anniversary at the National Aquarium in Baltimore. I remember when Don Schaefer went swimming with the seals. Well, you need to come back. We've changed. You need a permit to do that now. That was the mayor of Baltimore who made that whole Inner Arbor thing happen. Okay. Well, so now let's get into the the public. So, how do they go about supporting sustainable seafood? Do they say something to their chef? Do they talk to their fish? I mean. I will tell you, I literally, I mean, I don't buy a giant normally, um, but I was there one day. Well, that's okay. It's not happening. Um, But I mean, I went up to the guy, I wanted to get some seafood and he could not answer a question. And I was not being difficult. I was just like, I'm just trying to figure this out here. He didn't know what the fish was. He didn't know why the price, he didn't know anything. And I literally turned around and walked out. That could have been that one guy. The, The number one thing I think people need to understand is, Buy American. If it's okay. American and you can get it, it's good. And okay. so that's a good, easy thing. So that's a super you easy thing. You can trust it. It's American. Mm-hmm. It means it's coming from a family fisherman. It's coming from aquaculture. It's coming from something that's trusted. So I think that's the number one thing for everybody. And is that under the MSC? Like, it's where are we? The, we haven't talked about any of that at all. We, There's we lots of certification okay. That's a whole other show, Nick. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, let right. me do this because... I'm sorry, honey. No, no. We're, we're going to have to wrap in a second. I want to make sure everybody out there has the website or websites that where they can go and add to this thin layer that we've provided of information in an hour. Okay, go to fishwatch.gov, mm-hmm. and that is off the National Marine Fisheries Service website. Okay. okay. And um, you can also then link into our website that will explain a lot of those management programs. We went to we your are. website. There's a lot going on. There's right. a lot going on. <laughs> I'm glad you went. Thank and, you, Nikki. And Heidi, when, when does uh, Good show. Catch start on public TV? Good Catch will begin airing basically a year from now, where yeah, we we'll will be celebrating the 20th anniversary of Sustainable U.S. Seafood and National Seafood Month. So right, which is ending tomorrow. Right. But tomorrow. you you can keep up with us on Good Catch Films. Um, we'll be taking everybody on the journey as we visit all these fishermen across the country. Okay, okay. and TJ, how do we keep up with you? NationalAquarium.org. Mm-hmm. Our program's called Seafood Smart. We're revising, revamping everything right now as we're growing into this aquaculture space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep tabs uh, or reach out to me personally, TJTate at aqua.org. I'm always okay. happy to answer questions personally because I get a lot of them. And we're going to be taking somebody out in the Chesapeake. Yep. Uh, with Heidi in about two weeks. Yeah. Yep. All right, John. And then ProFish.com, which actually in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be launching nationally. So right now we have our market that we sell to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go national. So you can overnight fresh seafood, sustainable seafood. Um, we're going to start out all domestic. So somebody in Iowa can uh, hit us with an order if they want dinner, you know, if they want tilapia for their dinner tomorrow night. 
they can actually go to our website, order it, and it'll be to them by 10:30 the next day. So does that include your smoked seafood? Because we were talking about that yes. before you I got really here like today. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. We're de- definitely doing that. Right. And it's. If, I'd just love to mention that you know this conversation is moving global, and I know the president's task force and IUU and that that type of thing is is great to have the pressure there, but the fact that people are coming to us and they want to move into other countries. Um, uh, Haiti is one of them. We're actually doing a program with Haiti to yep. help them. That's and, where, and, and, that's where and, the, the partnerships I'm so really sorry. Good. We, we have we to wrap it up. I, I mean, there's so John, much more. John? Poor John Uselton back there who's pouring these unbelievable What did drinks. you pour us? Uh, so the last cocktail I made for you is called an Ilkori. And this is going to be a, a, you know, a little bit more bracing than the other one. The heart. Oh, no, uh, a little good. bit of chinar and, and uh, artichoke liqueur. Some of our white vermouth or off-dry white. What is artichoke white. liqueur? And why don't I have it? It's one of my favorite things. Wow. I love it in Negronis. I love it in this cocktail. Um, Are you making it? No, we don't make it. It's a tr- very traditional uh, 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 Italian liqueur. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of our... Uh, yeah, so, so some of the, the chinar, the white... Uh, and some of our fall winter gin, mm-hmm. so Excellent. and one of my favorite cocktails. Okay, tell everybody where they can find you because we can do tours. We can check you guys you can, out, right? You can come to the distillery on Saturdays between one and four over to Ivy City. You can mm-hmm. have lunch at Ivy City Smokehouse. Go get some oh smoked fish. It's, it's fantastic. He has any left? Um, there are three other distilleries and a brewery near us. It's a it's a great afternoon on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, we are. So you can come in and do a tour and do a tasting and do the whole exactly, thing. Exactly, exactly. No cost. We do five dollar cocktails, so it's a really good. We time. highly suggest Uber or Lyft. Yeah, yes. that would yeah. probably be best. Yes. Uh, yes. We also uh, sell every other Sunday at the DuPont Farmer's Market. Oh, right. Um, every Thursday at the Pin Quarter Farmer's Market. Um, and then at nearly 100 uh, liquor stores around D.C. and then almost 200 different bars and restaurants around D.C. Congratulations. Maryland, Delaware, Virginia. Not bad. And to think we started the whole thing. I know. All, all because of you. Thank you. <clears throat> We've got to wrap up the show. But before we do, uh, Nikki is leading a, a really a top chef's cruise mm-hmm. to the Caribbean January 28th to February 4th uh, on Celebrity. Why don't you tell everybody yeah, about so it? Yeah, so Celebrity Cruise has uh, anointed me their regional ambassador, which is very exciting. And we are leaving for Miami on January 28th, which will be after all the inauguration insanity. Uh, and we have Mike Isabella, Marjorie Meeks Bradley, David Guas, and Derek Brown all joining us. And it's really going to be a week-long trip. We go to Cozumel, Grand Cayman, uh, Hispanola, and uh, Jamaica and then back to Miami and there are cooking demos and dinners and a fabulous excursion where uh, the chefs will be cooking for everybody um, and it's also a lot of just lovely hangout time. Celebrity Cruise worked very closely with me to really upscale the whole package so while it's very reasonably priced you get uh, all your dining is included that includes all the restaurants all uh, your premium drinking is all included so when you get on board you literally are going to walk in, check in into your room and just prepare to relax. So uh, there are a few rooms left, and we do hope you'll join us. And it's DC Chefs, plural, cruise.com. You're all going to sign up, right? right? It's a good line for chefs. It's amazing. Right. It's it's gonna, you need sustainable seafood. I right. think, people, right. right. I think you people should all be there. You exactly. should all be there, and I'll be in a Speedo all week. Who could, like, oh. seriously? The selling point. The selling point. Oh, my God. 
drinking green hat. All right, so uh, do we know what we have going on next week? We do. Week? So we want to thank all of our guests today. I mean, this was such yeah, an incredible great. show, and you all just provided so much great information. Next week is not nearly as serious, but we have the people from Emporium coming in. You know this is the annual event where all these fabulous craft artisans come to town. Uh, D-City Smokehouse is uh, relaunching, and so they're coming in with barbecue. Yay. And uh, Commonwealth is uh, opening up in Bethesda. And they are coming in to share some of their uh, diner deliciousness. So it should be a great week. Once again, we want to thank everybody for coming in studio today. John for the fabulous drinks. Everybody else for just the fabulous conversation. And everybody, please have a delicious week.